Welcome back to the podcast, the title Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilden Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and LaBelle Jackson. Today, uh, fellas, we have the huge um, fight tonight between Whitley and Paul. I'm just checking real quick to see, are you guys going to check that match out tonight? You know what? I'm gonna be like I'm gonna be honest. The, so the card itself is like if you remove the main event, and even if with the main event, the card itself seems like a pretty decent card in terms of like it's showcasing other fighters. And so um, I will be tuning in, in in some capacity, more so for the the overall card itself. But but yeah, I'll be there. You know, not there there, but you know what I mean. I'll be there. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check it out. You know, see um, what's going to happen. It's like everyone want to see what's going to happen with these these fights. And I think it's going to be, you know, entertaining to watch. Yeah, I, I'm not even familiar with the undercard so much, but I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I kind of like uh, Jake Paul, what he brings to the table as far as he, he's going to have you watch whether you like his antics or whether you dislike his antics. You're going to be glued in to see, again, if you're a fan of him, you're going to want to see him win. And if you're not a fan of him, you want to see somebody knock his block off. I'm kind of in between because I'm the type of person who I like somebody who does that or certain teams. I remember back in the day, I used to like not liking the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like every time I watch, you know, I always wanted to see them lose. The Miami Hurricanes football team, I used to always watch them to see them lose or I want them to lose. Notre Dame, you know what I mean? And so he's one of those guys who, is going to push the needle, you know, either way. So I appreciate that about him and what he brings to the table. But I am kind of hoping Willie, you know, knocks his block off, to be honest with you. So I'll be tuning in myself. Now, as far as this episode is concerned, this week we got five topics we're going to discuss. Um, I think it pro- it's probably best if we turn our attention over to the UK um, with that highly anticipated matchup or highly anticipated rematch between Josh Warrington and Mauricio Lara. Who do you guys see uh, winning this rematch? Oh, man, this is going to be an interesting rematch. Uh, if you haven't seen the first fight, check it out. Uh, it happened on past February, February 13th of this year. Lara won by ninth round uh, TKO. We'll touch on that fight briefly. But coming into this fight, uh, Josh Warrington is, you know, 30 and one with seven knockouts. Uh, he's about I have him as 30 years old, 31 maybe. He's about five foot seven, uh, featherweight, going against Mauricio Lara, 23 and two with 16 knockouts. Uh, one thing I was surprised was how young uh, Mauricio Lara is. He's 23 years of age. Lara doesn't have any, uh, too many notable fights, but he does have that win over uh, Warrington. Warrington has wins over. Of course, Lee Selby and Carl Frampton. He was mainly a, a, a fighter, a star in the UK, which, you know, he, he, that's where he got a lot of his, his scalps from. Now, going to this fight, what's going to happen is, is going to depend on how much Josh Warrington uh, has taken as far as punishment. The, he has the British style of rough and tough. You know, he, he boxes, but, you know, he throws lots of punches. He doesn't have a lot of power, but he looks to box and, and, and punch. And he's, he's basically kind of a swarmer volume puncher. When, when I look at that first fight, Lara was timing him a lot and he was able to hurt him in, in about that fourth round. 
But a lot, a lot of what's going to happen in this rematch depends on how much is left from that first fight. Because uh, if you've seen it, Warrington was hurt in the fourth round. And, and I did not like the way he took that beating. Now, now that I'm a commander for his heart because he showed tremendous courage and heart. And, and he stayed in there. He didn't want to quit. But in this fight, I mean, he went from the fourth round. He was hurt every single round up to the ninth round when it was finally stopped. And it was a – I didn't like the way he, he particularly looked. And and even though, while it's, it's always honorable to take punishment, you know, in boxing and show that you're tough, it's not always – it's not cool for the long haul. And I think that I'm, – I'm not sure how much that punishment has taken effect on him. Now, if he's recovered from it, and he, you know, because he, he did have, a, you know, a little bit of rest – and he's probably more focused on Laura this time around. He might have been overlooking him and, and looking at those other scalps at 126. We don't know. But uh, if he's up to the task, I could see him winning a decision. But if you ask me for my prediction, prediction like if I had to bet money on it, I, I, I see Laura timing him again somewhere in that fight. Um, but he probably doesn't stop Warrington. But I, I think he keeps him honest enough where – Warrington um, gets beaten similar to, to the way uh, Kelly Pavlik did Jermaine Taylor in 2008. And I could also still see Lars stopping him, but I'm not sure if Warrington has enough to win. Even though he's 31, I think he, he he's taken a lot of punishment in, in his career. And of course, he's been surviving up to this point. He was practically undefeated before this, this last fight. But, you know, Guys who fight like Warrington, they burn out quick. And I think that might be a, an issue here. But we'll see. I'm pulling for Warrington. I hope he pulls it off uh, so we can see, you know, bigger and better fights uh, at 126. But as for my prediction, if you ask me if I had to make a prediction, I say Lara wins this fight again, but he wins it by decision. Yeah, I think they, they went into that fight overconfident, definitely. Warrington was saying that he was going to get went inside of six rounds and, you know, with the amount of knockouts that he has had in his career, that's a bold prediction for him. And so you can tell that he was overconfident going into the fight, as well as, you know, other people who, because you just had no idea what Laura brought to the table based on his, his resume. But I like to say that going into the fight, they were PH and Hayden, and they had no idea who they were facing. That's that Jada, because y'all don't know anything about that, but Anyway, let me go ahead and go into my prediction um, for this fight. I, let me get a little breakdown in here first. Warrington, like you said, he's a pressure fighter, volume puncher. Um, he has those wins over Selby. Selby was a split decision victory. Now, I didn't think that was a split decision victory that he had over Selby. I thought he um, pretty much had his way with Selby. In the Frampton fight, Frampton was, was past it. He was just 10 off on Frampton. That was a, a quality victory for him although Frampton was a little bit longer than two. Now, here's the thing. In the Galahad fight, it was a split decision victory for Warrington, as well as the Martinez, the Kiko Martinez fight, he won a majority decision. But in those two fights, he could have very well lost those fights. When I scored those um, bouts, I had those other guys beating him. I think that Warrington got a little bit beside himself, a little bit overconfident based on his victory against Frampton. And he started to think that he was a little bit better than he is. He's one of those guys who has to outwork his opponent. And based on what you see from him, a lot of opponents don't think that he's that good. 
And so they take him for granted. And then by him outworking those opponents, that's how he gets a lot of his victories in his bigger fights. Now, he can't run the risk of thinking that he's better than what he is because he's just not talented enough to do that. Um, now, last fight, it was some things that he could take from the fight going in. For instance, that was the first time he was fighting in London, which I don't think that was a big deal. But the fact that they didn't have a crowd and he's the type of guy that plays to the crowd where, where they energize him and his level of intensity increases as the crowd cheers and roars. If you don't understand what I'm saying, take a look at that Frampton fight because they just had his back throughout the fight. That was just a, a, a tremendous uh, turnout and that energy in that arena. So he feeds off that type of thing. Also, this fight, they will have fans. So that's going to be helpful for him, especially in times when it gets kind of rocky. Going into the Laura fight, he it was also, he had the longest layoff of his career. So he was a tad bit rusty, you know, in that fight. And then, as I stated before, and as you stated, Bill, that he was definitely overconfident going into that fight. Usually, Warrington is physically stronger than his opponents. Now, he may be physically stronger than Laura, but the fact that Laura has so much power that that really doesn't even matter. And that was the problem that he had with Kiko Martinez because Martinez is a powerful puncher as well. And all of that little like rat-a-tat-tat stuff, that's more amateurish when you're fighting against somebody who has explosives in both hands. When you can land several shots, but they are one shot, it does way more damage than all of those little shots that you shoot. Usually, Warrington is well-conditioned, you know, throughout the fight. But against Laura, he looked gassed. Now, that could be because of the long layoff. It could be because of the restrictions of COVID where they couldn't train as much and the sparring and things like that he may have not um, was able to get going into that fight as well. And again, they downgraded the fight because they thought it was a mismatch. The belts were not even on the line. So that's some things that he can take going into this fight that, you know, those things get corrected and then I'm going to come out victorious in this fight. Now, as far as Laura, I mean, like I say, he's unheralded. With him, his offense is his defense. Those, those, you know, big rights and lefts and he's relentless. You know, he has a tad bit of Eric Morales, El Terrible in his game. Don't quote me and say that he fights exactly like him. He got a slight bit of, of, of El Terrible in his game. Now, he had no notable wins before on his resume before the Warrington fight. Um, when I look back and I took out highlights of his fights that he had before, he turned pro early. So you said he's 23. Yeah, definitely he has 23 victories. So he has 25 fights altogether, but he turned pro similar to Canelo Alvarez, where, you know, those Mexican fighters, they turn pro, you know, they like 13, 14 years old, you know what I mean? So he did the same thing, but he lost his pro debut. And then also in another fight that I saw, he got caught early and got knocked out in less than a minute. But outside of those two setbacks, he's been piling up the victories. You know, he, he's on a 12-fight win streak, and he's going to be very confident going into this battle. Now, here's my prediction. Now, they, they're predicting Warrington to be a slight favorite in this fight. Another loss for Warrington is, would be extremely detrimental to his career. They're trying to set up the Kid Galahad rematch next and so i think you throw all of that out the window if he loses to this kid again 
Now, the other thing that I do want to mention is that these UK dudes, man, they, they better be careful because it seems like these Mexican fighters are their kryptonite. You think about it. Remember Anthony Joshua going into the Ruiz one fight. He was thinking that he was just going to, you know, walk through him. And you saw what happened there. You see how Canelo, he just goes, he feasts off of um, UK fighters. You know what I mean? It's similar to how Floyd Mayweather used to choose Hispanic fighters. Canelo is just looking to anybody in the UK to go ahead and collect belts, to go ahead and put on master performances. And so, yeah, so Josh has to be careful in that regard as well, keeping that in mind, be mindful of that. Bill, you mentioned something as far as him being a pressure fighter, a volume puncher, and that's 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 going to be the problem in this fight. It's, it's not only the damage that he sustained in the last fight, but then you also add in the fact that I mean, Warrington is going to have to have a game plan. I'm sure his corner or his trainer is going to implement a game plan for him to box because that's the only way I see him being victorious. Unless he was seven KOs, I don't see him stopping Laura. But it's one thing to have a game plan, but it's another thing to be able to execute that game plan for 12 rounds. That's going to be very difficult to do when you're so used to being this pressure volume puncher. That's what you hang your hat on. And so I can't see him doing that for 12 rounds. Now, Laura's style, like I said, it gives pressure fighters, you know, and feather-fisted pressure fighters fits because he has power. It's like the rock, paper, scissor type thing. When you have a pressure fighter going against somebody as powerful as Laura, it usually goes in the favor of the power puncher. Now, I suspect an entertaining fight, but I do see Laura winning like you, Vail, maybe a late mid to late round stoppage. The last thing I'm going to say is this, is that if Warrington is going to win this fight, one thing he has to do, he's going to have to hurt Laura early to get some respect. If not, it could even end earlier. But again, my prediction is Laura by mid to late round stoppage. Yeah, fellas, you, you guys did a great job of covering a lot of what I look into, because there's a lot of variables that goes into it, like you like you guys pointed out, it could could have been a layoff for Warrington. Um, it could have been a mindset going into it. I remember him going into the first fight. He said straight up, this is not the fight I want. I'm not happy about taking this fight. And so what happened, happened. And he took a lot of damage between that fourth, that, that fourth round knockdown and the end of the fight in the ninth. And so, you know, what you could have in terms of mindset, you know, he goes from... I'm going to run through this dude with, without really having a knockout history to even substantiate that and not being happy to now he's, you know, you can kind of go to an extreme with that, right? You can kind of become overconfident and be like, okay, like I see what I got to do. And he, you know, that might get him caught too. Whereas you have Larda came in there with kind of respect because, you know, Warrington was the number one fighter. Warrington was undefeated, you know, but with, and, I imagine anybody in Laura's shoes would feel the same way. You beat the fighter. It was an upset. And then the fighter you beat comes off saying, oh, this was a fluke. And now you feel disrespected. And then apparently, I, I don't know the history behind this or, or what was actually said, but apparently Warrington disrespected Laura's father as well. And so now Laura came from being like, hey, this is a fight. I'm going to give it my all to I beat this guy. And this guy is now disrespecting me as a boxer and disrespecting my family. So now you're going to piss me off. And so I think the mindset is going to be a lot of what goes into this fight. And on top of, like you guys pointed out, the damage that Warrington has already taken. And Laura just not 
being a good style matchup for him, you know? And so I'm also tempted to go, I'm thinking Lara's going to take this one as well. Um, I'm going to go, I would say mid to late round stoppage too, especially like you said, well, if that respect isn't established early, it's going to be, it's either going to be a long night or a short night for Warrington. I don't know. I don't know which one it's going to be, but it's going to be one of those kind of nights. So there's been a little bit of a shakeup with the welterweight division after your Dennis Ugas win over Manny Pacquiao and with Errol Spence being out indefinitely and, you know, Sean Porter and Terrence Crawford going to purse bid. There's been a lot of, it's been a decent amount of shakeup at the welterweight division and what we thought were pretty solid rankings before are not looking so solid now, potentially, depends on how you look at it. So uh, we're going to run through these rankings real quick. How do you guys see it? You can give top five, top ten, but how would you rank the welterweight division now? Yeah, the welterweight is definitely, definitely uh, one of the best divisions in boxing, one of the most stacked divisions in boxing. I do have a top ten um, list that I, I've come up with, and it's mostly on the eye test for the most part. Um, and resume, you know, what have you done inside the division? So you have to take that into consideration. I have an honorable mention. The honorable mention that I have is uh, Kudra Atila. I think you pronounced his last name, Aduka Hora. I don't know if you guys heard of him, but he's an upcoming fighter. I saw him fight a couple of times. I want to say it was uh, ESPN fight. Now, Ring Magazine has him ranked number nine or number 10. He's a pretty, pretty good fighter, pretty good young fighter. Um, I think he might be a little bit overrated to some, you know, but at the same time, I just think right now he's young. He's 18 and 0, 10 KOs. He just needs a little bit more seasoning. And I think that he's potentially, he could potentially, you know, not only crack the top 10, but he may be able to get one of the belts. It just depends. It's hard, too early to tell right now with him, but I like some of the things I see out of him. Um, my number 10 is Imantis Stanionis. Um, he's another young fighter. He's really powerful. To me, he reminds me a little bit of Triple G, you know, the way he fights. His demeanor is more Miguel Cotto. And I think he said Miguel Cotto is one of his favorite fighters. But he's, he's really tough, man. He, he's, he packs a powerful punch. I saw him against Thomas uh, Delorme. Um, he had a 12-round decision victory over him. In his last fight, he had a no contest against uh, Luis Colazzo. And I thought that he was on the verge of stopping uh, Luis Colazzo, but they had a hip, but I want to say it's like around the fourth round, but he's a really outstanding prospect uh, coming up. I, I suspect him being um, cracking that top five pretty soon. He just has to up the level of competition. Now, he may be facing Robert Guerrero next. Now, I think that that would definitely be a fight that would end Robert Guerrero's career because that boy is just too heavy handed, you know, for somebody in the latter stage of their career like Guerrero but that would be a good test for him because Guerrero does pack a bit of a punch to see how well he can take a punch if Guerrero lands but outside of that you know he's he's one to look out for my number nine is one of the most talented guys that's on the list and that is Jerron Ennis he has the skills to pay the bills and he's another fighter just has to up the level of his competition and I think that you know, he's another one. He's just once these guys start mixing it up with each other, then it's going to determine who's really the best of these young guys. But he's, you know, top notch. He just came off victory against uh, Sergey Lipinets, and he slated to face uh, Thomas Delorme in uh, like late September, early October. Number seven is another young gun, 
That's going to be Virgil Ortiz. I call him Vicious Virgil, and he's coming off the Kabbalaskis victory. I didn't get a chance to uh, recap that with you fellas because I was out there in Columbia, but that was an impressive victory um, as well for him. And what I liked about that victory is that it showed me that he can mix it up with bigger welterweights because I saw what he can do against some of those smaller guys, you know, and guys like Hooker. You know what I mean? Because I was like, Hooker was landing a few shots on him. What if he fights one of those big, you know, world twists? Then I had a chance to see how he responded when he got in trouble. Kavalaskis can bang. You know what I mean? Every time I see Kavalaskis fight somebody, he hurts pretty much everybody's face, including Terrence Crawford. I wanted to see how that young man was going to respond. And most importantly with him, he's not a guy that's going to play around with you. I'm talking about his mental game is sharp too. So when they asking him, who do you want to face? You know, he's so ambitious. He wants Terrence Crawford. He wants those guys. And he he feels like he can actually beat those guys. But even more important than that, you're going to have to beat the loss out of him. Like a Vander Holyfield. Like I remember he was about to face Mike Tyson. I was like, Mike Tyson, man, you might not want to mess with him because the fighters that you were facing before, you can intimidate him. You're not going to intimidate Virgil Ortiz. He's going to keep coming. He has that engine. I see that in his eyes. And so he's another one to look out, look out for. And number six, even though he's a part-time boxer in my eyes nowadays, he fights, he takes these long layouts, but I do have Keith Thurman because of his resume. He beat Porter, he beat Garcia, and he does have the loss against Manny Pacquiao, but he's still very talented. And I think that I would have, I would favor him over some of those younger guys just based off experience. Number five, I got the living legend. Um, he's long in the tooth, but I still have Manny Pacquiao at number five. At number four, I got Showtime Sean Porter. Showtime Sean Porter has the victories over Danny Garcia and Ugas, but he also has the losses against Thurman, Brooke, and Spence. But he is fucked the who's who of the welterweight division. And then at number three, I got your Danny Ugas, just got the victory over Manny. And to me, he's looking like he's found his stride, you know. And then also, guys, I wouldn't say that they're afraid to fight him. He just really, you mentioned it last week, Vale, that is high risk, low reward to fight somebody like Ugas. But as far as talent, he's right up there with the elite world to weights at number two. This is the most talented guy on the list, but he probably has one of the weaker resumes for somebody that's a top like five pound for pound fighter in the world. And that's going to be Terrence Bud Crawford. Terrence Bud Crawford is like one of those great basketball teams, but they play in a weak division. You're like, man, y'all get all of these victories because you ain't playing anybody. And so that's the thing with him. But as far as talent, I would say he's the most talented guy. And then number one is going to be Earl the Truth Spence. It's going to be interest, interesting to see how much Earl has left in the tank because he's starting to pile up these like injuries. You have the car accident, you got the retina injury. But just based on his resume and what I've seen in his last bouts, I have to put him number one. And he's beaten probably the most of the better welterweights in the division. And so I have to take that into account. So my number one fighter in the world's weight division is Errol the True Spin. Very good list, Will. All right, I'm going to get into mine. At number 10, I have Mikey Garcia, who uh, last beat Jesse Vargas in February of 2020. Um, he did not have a great match against Errol, against Errol Spence, but he also moved up two weight classes to fight him at that time. But I still think he's a very solid welterweight, and he's had time to sort of build into that. He just needs more activity so we can figure out more about him at this weight class, you know. Number nine, I have Danny Garcia, who last lost to Spence back in December of last year. But he is still 
a good fighter. He he's had some some good wars. He has a, he's had a few uh, victories at at welterweight since he moved up. And um, so I still have him in the mix. Number eight, I have Jerron Ennis, who had a very good showing against Lipinets in April of this year with the six round knockout. You know, I, I believe he has about I don't have his record in front of me, but I believe he has around 25, 26 victories. He's number eight now, but you know, when he steps up, he he definitely has that potential to to quickly move up. Number seven, he's been pretty inactive for the last two years, but Keith Thurman has a solid resume at what to eat as well. Last lost to Pacquiao two years ago, but you know, I'm still giving him the benefit of a doubt as a fighter based on what he's done so far. I see him training, but I don't I know he he doesn't have a fight name yet, so Again, that's another fighter who the, the 2021 20, version of him, we kind of still need answers for. Number six, I have Manny Pacquiao. You still can't entirely count him out. And if what he said about himself was true, then, you know, we did not see the best version of him in the ring last week. And also he was coming off that two-year layoff. And so um, at number six, I have him there. Number five, I have uh, the young fella Virgil Ortiz Jr., who had that very impressive eighth-round knockout against Kavalaskas. It's a little bit – it was a little bit high. I, I kind of felt like it was high, but then when I kind of looked at what he did against him, his his general mindset when it comes to stepping up the competition and how he wants to fight the best, he's not looking to have a lot of sort of tune-up fights. He wants to get right in there. I think he has the power. I think he has the build. I think he has the, the mentality to have earned him the number five spot in the division. Number four, I have Showtime, Sean Porter. He last beat uh, Sebastian Formella back in August, 2020, but um, he, he's been in some wars. He has a very impressive resume at welterweight. He's a tough out for any of these guys. Number three, I have your Dennis Ugas, who more than earned that spot after the Manny Pacquiao win. He looked very good against Sean Porter as well. You know, some people believe that he won that fight, even though he got the technical decision ruled against him. Number two, I actually had my number two and number one switch from yours, Will, um, because if we were going off eye test, I feel like Terrence Crawford is the number one. Um, but number two, Errol Spence has the most impressive resume. Also, to your, you know, like you said, we don't know what type of fighter he's going to be assuming that he comes back from that eye injury physically he did not you know in terms of his body he didn't suffer any damage with that eye injury but is he going to fight more cautious what's going to happen there so uh, my number two and number one respectively are Errol to choose Spence and Terrence Bud Crawford a uh, great list guys I did a top five I, I think it was becoming challenging to do the second half of this list even if even the first top five was you know, it had its challenges, but I think the second half was really, really hard for me. But I, I'll shout some people out that that were in that list. Uh, Danny Garcia was in there. Mikey Garcia was in there. Uh, Jerron Ennis was in there. Um, had a few other names. Uh, as for top five, my list, I think it was similar to you guys, probably the exact same list that Will had for his top five. And I agree with the, the, the points that both of you guys made in that top five. Uh, but number five, I have uh, Manny Pacquiao. Of course, the, the Ugas loss dropped him down a bit. Of course, we, we just base it off of uh, just eye tests and where he goes from here. Um, 
sure he could be lower, but that win over Thurman did, you know, pretty much wonders for him. When I look at Pacquiao, he he, he looks to be on the downside. But we don't know. I think I think he's, he could still be good enough to beat some of the people in the top, you know, not five, but maybe 10 or 20. And even some, he could, I, I could see an interesting fight between him and even someone like a Sean Porter. But looking at this list, number five is Manny Pacquiao. Number four, I have a Sean Porter, Showtime Sean Porter. He, he's pretty much the kind of the real warrior of the list. Uh, he, he may have fought in the most guys on the list that's, that's in the top 10, uh, maybe. I'm not sure. But Sean Porter is one of those guys who, who's not afraid of anyone. He's not afraid to fight anyone. He was willing to, to, to take those risks. Um, I, even I thought that that fight with Keith Thurman was a gutsy move. When you have, like, uh, two guys at the height and they, and they take on a fight like that, I thought that was a gutsy move on his part, and even on Thurman's part at the time. And he, he also got in the ring with, with Danny Garcia, which he has a win over. Uh, he has a win over uh, Jordinas Ugas. Even though I look at that fight, uh, it was a very, very close fight that you can easily have Ugas winning that fight also. So it was it was a close fight. So, But he, since he, got, he had the victory over a, a close fight, I give him credit for that. Number uh, three, I have Jordinas Ugas. Jordinas Ugas. Uh, and just like you guys said, he's going to be a, a tough fight for anyone. He, he can, He's a guy who can be beat. But at the same time, he's not walking apart. And I think even though he doesn't have the style, like he's not a, you know, a speedster, speedster, athletic, uh, strong guy that knocks you out in one punch. He's still a, a really strong and tough fighter, you know, to, to fight. And I think a lot of guys, they think about that when it when his name comes up. They're not in a rush to beat him. I mean, they're not in a rush to fight him. So I, I do think that that Pacquiao fight does wonders for him, putting him you know, getting eyeballs on him and, and putting his name out there that fighters can't really not say his name now. Uh, number two, I have Terrence Bud Crawford. Uh, I really wanted to put him as number one. I'm a Crawford fan. I think he technically, I, I, I believe he can beat Errol Spence. Uh, we, we can do a breakdown one of these weeks too, uh, why I think that more now. But I mean, look at his resume. You, I mean, you got to put in the work. I mean, he, he has, uh, he had a few opportunities and some of it is not his fault. Some of it's promotional. Uh, some of it is personality. He's not a person that's like really um, has that fire. Like, give me him, give me him. I don't care what, you know, he's not really like that. Uh, but when you look at talented, he is a talented person on his list and probably, you know, the most talented fighter out there today. Um, so hopefully that Porter fight comes through. And number one, uh, whether it's Errol who Spence, I got to give him number one. I can't take that away from him. He's earned it. Uh, he impressed me coming back from that, that car accident to, to take on a tough a fighter and, and, and Danny Garcia and pretty much beating him comfortably. He had, he, he, from a mental standpoint, he's what you would want in a fighter as far as wanting to get those top fights that he wants. The only thing is, you know, is that Bud Crawford – you know, situation. But at the same time, you can't take away what he's been doing. So he's number one welterweight, Arrow the true Spence. No, I just want to add in there that Danny Garcia, I would have had him either seven or eight right behind Keith Thurman on my list. I was just going by what he said in terms of him campaigning at 154. So that's the reason why I took him off my list. So, but he would have been number seven or eight. I got you. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, speaking of the welterweight division, we had a welterweight fight 
last week between uh, Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao and Ordinas Ugas that we spoke about previously, where Ugas won a, a decision. And watching that fight, if you ask anyone, they say that uh, Ordinas Ugas earned that victory and he won comfortably over Manny Pac-Man. Not many people think that Pacquiao won that fight. So he, uh, he did get that victory. But looking at um, Pacquiao's explanation for the loss, he says that his, you know, his legs were cramping. He also said that Ugas is one of his easy points that he fought. He just couldn't beat him. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on Manny Pac-Man, Pacquiao's comments regarding uh, Jordanus Ugas and the fact that he, you know, he's open to a rematch with Ugas? Now, I know that the common opinion is going to be Pacquiao needs to retire. You know what I mean? And I, I don't disagree with it necessarily, but an effort to play devil's advocate, I'm going to start out by saying I could imagine how it will feel to think that you could beat somebody and your body kind of betrays you in that moment and you can't do what you're used to doing. So if I were to go out, I would rather at least go out knowing that that person was definitively better than me at my best. So I kind of get them feeling that way, but the optics aren't great because now it sounds like all he does is make excuses after losses. He said it was a shoulder against Floyd. Now, now we're here. And on one hand, I do think it's possible that he suffered the leg cramps. But also, if he wasn't going as hard in camp and still suffered cramps that night of, is this even more indicative of his age? Um, it's another thing where it's like those variables are playing in because, you know, um, he, he did have that layoff and everything. And so he, he's open to rematching in January before his Philippine campaign in February. And so you kind of wonder what a fresher man he may look like. But another thing is, what did those cramps have to do with you getting caught with that same overhand right over and over again and close your eye up? You know what I mean? So it's like, again, it's a bad optics to say this is the reason. Like, if you want the rematch and you're not ready to hang it up yet, that's cool. Take the rematch. Don't hang it up yet. But to blame it on stuff when, like, your cramps have nothing to do with your eye. So I, I kind of get it, but it just it, it's bad optics. Uh, this was a case of just uh, Manny Pacquiao was just getting older and he can't accept it. Of course, I, I agree with you, agree with you uh, Danny, that he was – had uh this it's not a good option to have those type of excuses and, and we've seen it before with Manny Pacquiao but with this one it might have a little bit more merit because you know a 42 year old boxer um when they say they they, they things like uh, man my my legs were just planted I couldn't move or they say things like I should have beat this person I, I saw I see things that I, I, I should be able to do but I couldn't what he's saying is look I know how I beat him, but I can't beat him. And really, that's that's something that older fighters need to come to grips with. Like, look, you know, your reaction time is slow. It's like he can't get out of the way of those punches like he used to. Uh, Manny Pacquiao was known for, you know, his bounciness. You know, he can bounce off the foot. He can, you know, he, even when you look at those the combinations he was throwing, the flurries he was throwing with Ugas, even Manny Pacquiao was fighting someone with, with decent uh, defense like, uh, 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 Tim Bradley, or even someone like Floyd, you know, he would throw those those flurries and miss, but it would be like at one shot that he would probably connect on. You know, it would usually be that last shot. But Ugas, that left was like way off. It was like a foot off sometimes. You know, so really his feet is slow. His reaction time is slow, and it's almost like looking at Bernard Hopkins when he fought Joe Smith Jr. You know, Bernard Hopkins on all accounts he knows how to beat joe smith jr but he can't do it in a ring physically he couldn't do it he knew what to do uh the, the body just couldn't 
the body just couldn't obey, you know, his mind. And, and with Pacquiao, we're seeing the same thing. Now, if someone like Bernard Hopkins is going to happen to, it's going to happen to Manny Pacquiao too. I mean, Father Time is undefeated. Bernard Hopkins, he lived a Spartan lifestyle. Uh, he didn't eat junk. He wasn't always out partying. He didn't. He didn't even drink, you know. And, and he was able to do it at fifty. And even even then, Father Time eventually got to him and got him. So Father Time is, is undefeated, and I think. Manny Pacquiao should just accept it. He should, he can still be able to beat like uh, I would say lower tier fighters. You know, not not saying lower fighters that aren't good or anything like that. But he's he he's he may not be good enough to beat the top three or maybe even the top five. But he's still relevant where he can beat a few of those guys and, he, and even still get a belt somewhere. But as far as on a top level and 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 trying to compete with guys like Spence Crawford, Ugas. I may even even say uh, uh, Porter in a way, even though I think that would be a good fight. I, I I think his time has passed, and either Freddie Roche or need to sit down and say, hey, "Look, this is the guys we think you you're best suited to fight." And and I don't think with with, with what I saw physically in that Ugas fight that he he's not the same Manny Pacquiao. He just just come to the grips with that. Yes, sir. Old Manny up to his old tricks, right? So this reminds me uh a situation i went through and i told you guys that i used to hoop a little bit back in the day um in 2016 i began to work in a new school district in dc dc is one of the most busiest school districts that you probably can work in with the exception of i would say like a new york or something like that because you get inundated with so many things outside of what your job title is and it's just a lot a lot of paperwork and it can get overwhelming and challenging but they set up a teacher, not teacher, but a staff versus um, student game. And I accepted the opportunity to participate. And so typically in the past, when we've had situations like that, where we had staff and students, what I would do is probably like a month or two, or maybe a month before the game, two or three weeks before the game, at least, what I'll start doing, I'd get back in the gym a little bit more, you know, work on a little bit, play a little pickup, basketball and whatnot and then i'll just by the time we're about to play i'll be pretty much on my game and so i can participate and perform up to the standards that, that i'm looking to perform at now in this situation in 2016 they told us you know a pretty lengthy amount of time before we were supposed to play but again i got inundated with so much stuff so every time i look up i'm like dang man it's three weeks left two weeks left so that last week what I decided to do, I said, you know what, I'm going to go up here to 24 hour fitness and I'm going to start working on my game a little bit at night. You know what I mean? Like when nobody's in there and then probably maybe let's say for instance, that was Monday, went up in there, worked on my shot, you know, and stuff like that. Felt pretty good the first day, second day, did a little bit more. And then the third day I played a game. And then the other day, the, that Thursday, now that Wednesday, I played a game. That Thursday, what it was, I was just going to go up there and shoot around because I felt comfortable enough, you know what I mean, to do what it is that I wanted to do. But what happened is I was in the gym, and I said, no, I said, I'm going to play one pickup game. But then what happened was the score, we ended up winning the game, but it was so close that, you know, it was going, you had to win by two, and we just kept plan until a team won by two. One of the guys on my team hit a three-point shot, which was a two-pointer. We won. 
it was so competitive that the guys like, no, man, you can't quit. You know what I mean? So then we played another game. They end up winning. Then my team was like, let's play another game. So by this time we playing and I'm just caught in the moment because now it's so competitive with my team. It's not like you can just be out there just bullcrapping. You got to really play to actually win because your team wants to beat the other team because it's tied. You know what I mean? As far as it's one-to-one. So the morning of the game, I wake up. And what I do every day is I do three miles in the morning. That to me, that's a non-negotiable. But again, I probably should have taken that day off under the circumstances, the fact that I'm about to play in the game, um, but I didn't. So when we start playing in the game, I noticed I just, I didn't have anything left in terms of my legs. My legs were just shot. But I was able to perform well as far as facilitating, like they'll give me the ball in the middle of the zone and I make the right decisions, getting down low for dudes to get easy layups. When it came to like taking my man and being able to finish, I just didn't have any lift because I had did too much, you know, the night before and then also running those three miles. So I was just like really so disappointed that I just could, I probably could have had about 30, 40 points, but I noticed and then it started affecting my confidence in terms of me continuing to take my opponent to the rim and then just lay this ball up because I'm having them right where I want them. But it just it just wasn't there. And so as opposed to getting 30 points, I had like 12 points, which it wasn't like to the naked eye. They probably was like, you know, he's doing pretty good, you know, especially for a guy who's an older guy. Right. But I was so disappointed because I just wanted to kill him, dudes, because I you know, that's just what you do. You know what I mean? Under those circumstances. Now, the crazy thing was, I'm, as I'm telling you this story, this was around Easter break. So this was the Friday before Easter, Thursday, Friday before Easter. So then we had to have that. We had a break and then we came back to work the following day. So I was around those guys that had participated. And so I'm telling the story that I'm telling you right now. And so one of the kids, now he was a funny dude. Now he's cold. Like he's probably now, that was 2016. He may be in college now or like a senior or something like that, but the boy was bad. Like he was doing that Steph Curry stuff. Like he get past the half court line. If he's past the half court line, you got to be on him or he's going to let that thing go or he'll get to different spots. He was doing that in the eighth grade. Very tough young man. But anyway, what he told me when I was telling the story, he said, man, you make more excuses than Pacquiao. <laughs> and so he had me laughing. I was like, okay, say no more. Right. So anyway, saying all that to say, I know how Manny Pacquiao probably felt inside the ring. There were certain things that he wanted to do that he couldn't do that he typically is able to do. He could have overtrained because they were saying that he was running heels and, you know, doing all type of sprints and things like that. So he was really trying to get ready for Spence. That could have been an issue. Obviously, the two year layoff didn't help, you know, his cause. And so those things can factor in and it'll build in an excuse for you. What he probably shouldn't have done is taken two years off because some of the things that he's complaining about, you would think that somebody would experience being two years off and you fighting at the highest level at, at an elite level. Then you, you, you factor in that he's fighting somebody different that he wasn't really training for. And then at his age, how can you really, can you really get up for an opponent like Ugas? 
a couple other things that I wanted to mention is that I think that Pacquiao is the craziest it's going to sound. I think he will perform better against the elite guys as opposed to some of the younger guys because those younger guys are going to really be geared up to face Manny Pacquiao. And I don't know how much he's going to be able to get geared up to face those guys. So that's the interesting situation that could develop there. Now, another thing that I want to say, if you are somebody who's accepting this excuse from Manny Pacquiao, then all I'm saying is, you know, what the young folks say, had the same energy for Deontay Wilder. You know what I mean? Like he was, he had his reasons why he felt he wasn't in the best situation possible to be able to defeat Tyson Fury, but he took all type of flight for that. So again, just had the same, you know, use the same logic when it comes to um, the, the bronze bomber. But a couple other things, I think that this is very reminiscent of what happened when he fought Floyd Mayweather. He's just fighting, a, he's going to have trouble against a long rangy counterpuncher. You know what I mean? And Ugas, you know, fits the bill. That's going to give him trouble regardless of whatever stage of his career he's in. I think that he would have defeated Ugas had he been younger. And also, when those legs are gone, it's like Bugs Bunny say, man, that's all, folks. Like, you're going to certain things that you typically would be able to get out of the way of. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect your confidence. It's going to be like, when can I go in here at certain points? I know I can't get where I want to get. And they're trying to figure out another way. You know what I mean? Manny Pacquiao, at this stage of his career, he's going to have to find that Michael Jordan fall away jump shot because he's not flying to the rim, you know, you know, just using this as a symbol of, of what he's going through. He has to find a different way because it's not just magically going to come back to him at this stage of his career. So he's going to find a different way if he's able to do that with this style. I'm not sure he will be able to do it. And then the last thing that I'm going to say is this, is that typically when you hear guys start off a sentence by saying, um, I'm not making excuses, but, you know, that's a terrible way for a loser to start a sentence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, that, that's similar to when somebody say, I'm not racist, but, you know, and generally that, follow, you know, some racism follows, you know, when somebody says that. Or I can do one even better. When people say, no disrespect, expect some disrespect to follow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's all I pretty much have for that um, outside of the fact that I think that he's, He's going to fight again. You know what I mean? And it's, I think it's a couple of reasons why he's still going to um, get in the ring. One is he sees things that he can do and he's got excuses of why he was not able to do it. So he's going to get back in the ring to see if it's actually he has to find out if it's if I'm actually done or can I like redo certain things and be prepared more so in the future. And he, I wouldn't be surprised if he still fights Spence because that's a huge payday. Um, and that's the other thing, it's the money. You know what I mean? Like I said, being previously, Pacquiao, he takes care of a lot of people. Um, and, it, and it's in his heart, it's, it's just in his nature to be a giver. And, you know, he has to feed a lot of people. And so regardless of what Freddie Roach says, <laughs> the thing is, is that Freddie is not the only trainer in boxing. Manny Pacquiao can easily say, all right, I appreciate your advice, Freddie but I'm going to go ahead and move on over here and find me another trainer. But I have to find out for myself, you know what I mean, if I can no longer, you know, do this anymore. And so that's pretty much all I have. You guys have anything else you want to say about Manny Pacquiao and his excuses that he has had in his fight against Floyd? You know what I mean? When he was fighting Floyd, the crazy thing is he said, now I know he had surgery afterwards, but it just had me rolling when, he was making a big deal about 
his shoulder injury. And then they showed him deep sea diving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a couple of days after the fight, but that's neither here nor there. But again, do you guys have anything else that you want to touch on as far as that subject is concerned? Hey, yeah, I do remember that Floyd excuse about, uh, you know, man, I had one arm against Castillo. <laughs> one arm. I beat him one arm. I think the operative word is that he beat him, though. You know what I mean? Like, that's a little bit different. Yeah, he, he didn't. really didn't, but, you know, judges gave it to him. Yeah. But we can break that down another day. Well, well, you know what I'm saying? But again, he was victorious. That's a little bit different. You can say, you know, I probably could have performed better had my injury had I not sustained an injury. The other thing, too, is that you saw the injury. You saw him really grimacing in that fight based on his injury. So it wasn't something that just came out the blue. With Manny, it's totally different. But the biggest thing is a loser. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't have any excuse. You have to be, when you talk about a Spartan, when you talk about somebody who is a, a professional about what it is they're doing, and they just have that, they just have it, right? So I'm gonna give you an example. When Tommy Hearns, he could have made all type of excuses against Marvin Hagler. He split his, his hand, right hand against this monstrous puncher, this ferocious uh, fighter that he's facing. Never made any excuses about splitting his right hand in the first round. Only how we knew about that is because Emmanuel Stewart mentioned it, right? He wasn't gonna use that as an excuse. And so that's, that's the only thing that I'm saying about Manny is, you know, grow up here, Manny. You know what I mean? Don't sit up here and, you know, give out these excuses. You know what I mean? You answered the ring. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's always made the best man win. You know, you win. You know what I mean? You, you you accept all the praise. But in loss, you don't sit up here and make excuses. That's all I'm saying. All right. So if we are going to um, finish that topic, the last topic that we want to discuss today is um, last week or it might have been two weeks. I think it was August 10th. The WBA decided um, that they're going to reduce the number of belts in their organization. And so my question to you, fellas, how do you see this impact in the sport of boxing? It's hard to say because I guess WBA is leading that charge, but it really was the WBA that was leading the charge and creating more belts with the WBA super champion, the Demetrius and all the other stuff on top of the interim champions that already existed. So it is good, but I, I look at it from a different perspective because you, it's like you gave these fighters belts and now they're champions. Now you're saying, oh, let's take them away now. And it's the fighters that suffer when it really wasn't their, it wasn't their uh, intention and it wasn't their decision in the first place. It was the organization's decisions. But in the long run, it, it's a good thing if all the other you know organizations follow suits. I don't have a problem with it being two or three belts, but we have like, and there's like, then... On top of those four or five belts, then you have the interim champion, the the, the Metrius Super. It's like then you, you have guys winning the super champion or interim champion and saying, oh, I'm a unified champion because I'm an interim champion. I, I, I think the best incentive, the one thing we always complain about is, is, is fighters not fighting the fights that they, they need to fight. The, the biggest remedy to that is less belts because everyone wants to be a champion. You get paid more when you're a champion, you know, it. Everyone wants to be a champion. Everyone wants to be a belt. Everyone wants a belt. Everyone wants to be called unified. Every boxer is looking for some type of, of legacy, you know? So cutting down the amount of belts that it has, and, and I'm not going to say that they should cut the weight classes because those are kind of there for a reason. And I, I understand they help implications behind that. 
when we talk about but when we talk about the number of belts it's too many belts and a lot of guys are are, are being rewarded and, and it's champions it's people who have belts you don't even know have belts like and I'm, I'm not i don't mean to knock this person i'm gonna name because you know they're a decent fighter i watch them fight i'm a fan obviously because i know who they are and i've seen them fight before but jamal james he's considered a wba champion you know so i mean we gotta look at it for that 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 standpoint it's too many belts and, and, and finally someone's following suit with that and, and kudos to them yeah i like these i would say compensatory measures that the wba is taking when it comes to these belts because like you said they led the way in creating a problem and so now for them to kind of offset the effects of what they created is a good thing you know and hopefully this will springboard other organizations to do the same thing you know because that's one of the biggest problems in boxing is that you have too many belts and it's watering down the sport you know now having a title just doesn't have the same value when everybody's walking around with a belt you know what i mean you got guys like and these not wba all of them are not wba like um secondary champions but you got guys like raleigh romero who has a belt you know what i mean like every time you see somebody win you see them like with a belt in the post-fight interview. And it's like, how do you get a belt? It's just certain steps that you're supposed to take in order to like become a champion. And that should really mean something. It should hold some value and it doesn't anymore. You can use the belt in order to kind of promote yourself, but at the same time, sometimes the belt doesn't matter. From what I got from that, it seemed like, uh... The WBA is kind of doing what it needs to do or feel it needs to do to salvage its reputation. Um, they announced several mandatory fights and boxed off between certain fighters. A few uh, notable interim names were uh, Daniel Dubois, Chris Eubank Jr., Roley Romero, Chris Colbert. Uh, those guys are going to have to become mandatories for the WBA world title, which is still a secondary belt in the WBA. So it just seems like they just wanted to keep – it really just seemed like they wanted to see how far they could go with it. And then once they noticed their reputation taking a hit, it was like, oh, all right, you, you got us, you got us. And so, I mean, short answer, I do think it's a net positive for boxing um, to have less belts. I don't know how much it's going to move the needle, but I also think that these sanctioning bodies are going to continue to see what they can get away with at the expense of boxing – and, you know, we may come down this this road again, you know, in a different light. Yeah, short answer to that question, I think it's a net positive. And um, it could make up for some, make for some pretty good mandatory fights too. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, like I say, when any time that you create a problem and you take compensatory measures to mitigate and correct the problem, to me, that's always a good thing. You know what I mean? It reminds me of like slavery, right? So... I don't think anything has ever been put in place to create a compensatory measure that created that problem. And Jim Crow and some of the other um, things that were created to have one group prosper and another group struggle, you know what I mean? Like they have a system in place and the only way you can fix that is if you undo what it is that you did before and then add in what it is that you took from that particular group and that has never happened in this situation in boxing when you create such a problem where belts don't hold any value because you have so many of them out there 
the only way that you can go about fixing that is to take away what it is that you created, which are those belts. And it should help the sport of boxing um, moving forward, like you say, by creating more competitive fights. And I think that as true boxing fans, that's all we're looking for. We just want to see the best fight the best. And that would be a better way to get that to happen with the uh, with less belts out there because guys have to face each other in order to get the limited amount of belts that are available. Anything else you fellas got on this Jake Paul boxing night? You know what I mean? Anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Katie Taylor. They'll, they'll be fighting next week uh, against uh, Jennifer Hahn. Be on the lookout. Check that out. I'm pretty sure that's going to be a, a, a interesting fight. Y'all know how I feel about you know, female fighters that they don't get the love that they, they should get in comparison to how UFC and MMA really put their arm around, you know, their female fighters and make them stars. So I think Kay Taylor is one of those uh, fighters that we're looking at probably, she's probably top three pound for pound, if not number one. I ha- Personally, I have her and Krista Shields as you know, 1A and 1B. So be on the lookout for Kay Taylor. She's in a, a, a weight class that's uh, heating up. Yeah, it's a supporter. What's your prediction for the fight? Uh, I have Kay Taylor winning a decision. Of course, uh, the, 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 the two-round format, it takes away from, of course, they, they may not have the tenacity that you see in men's box as far as just raw power, but at the same time, I think there'll be more knockouts if those rounds were extended to, to three rounds. Uh, no, I'm not saying that these women can't hit because I don't want to be hit by none of them. So. Yeah, you mean three minutes, right? Yes, because the current format of women boxing is they fight two minute rounds. And I think that if they, they extended that to three minutes, I think more chaos be, be, be forced because a lot of knockouts happen or, or flash knockouts happen through uh, time under stress. And, you know, you have you get you get tired or even you get mentally tired and you're trying to stay focused for three minutes, it does something to you. And I think that's why a lot of knockouts happen late in the fight. And I think more knockouts in women's boxing would happen later in the fights if they extended the format to three-minute rounds. No, I got you. I just, you were saying two, two rounds, but that, I got you. Because I, uh-huh. I was saying that too. I was saying that too. But, you know, in this fight, though, um, I'm glad that you mentioned this because I'm, I'm really interested to see this fight. I have her ranked... Well, Katie Taylor, that is, she is definitely one or two, you know, when it comes to women's boxing. I think Shields is slightly um, over her, but it could go either way. She she has skills to pay the bills. What I like about her is that, you know, when she gets inside, she throws those nice uh, combinations to the body and head. The young lady is lightning quick. Hand speed is ferocious. Um, and when you see her fight, minus like the footwork, she has like, she's kind of like Lomachenko-ish, you know what I mean? with her this the skills that she possessed you know and like you said if these were rounds were longer i think she would have more KOs. right now she's 18 oh with six KOs. she's 35 years old five five um she has a 66 inch reach her opponent jennifer Hahn. she's i'm out of el paso utep graduate she's 18 one and three with one draw five six um 66 inch reach and you know when you look at the the young ladies fight you know obviously you know, uh, I keep saying young ladies and Taylor is 35, but um, her opponent is, is much slower. And again, this is just going to be a situation where you got a top elite pound for pound fighter against a contender. You know what I mean? And I think that you're going to see a huge gap in skill. The thing is, though, is that Taylor is 35 years old and she's had 
fights against another top pound for pound fighter and Delphine um, Pearson. And the first fight could have went either way. I thought Pearson defeated Taylor in their first fight, but it was razor close. You know what I mean? She won a split decision and then she won a considerable, a much, I wouldn't say easier victory, but it was more um, wider on the cards, although it was probably like 96, 94, but she clearly won that fight. And the biggest adjustment that she made in the Delphine uh, Pearson fight was she just decided to move her head a little bit more. The first fight, she was just putting on pressure and um, Pearson, is, is she can go too. Like, that's a really good fighter. She has to be in the top five as well. Um, but in this fight, I think it's going to be a defense uh, for stay busy defense for um, Katie Taylor. But I'm interested. I'm looking forward to this fight. And uh, just like Bab said from making a band, you know, she does women's battle rap now. She's one of the owners of one of the leagues. And she always say, let's give it up for the ladies. So, you know, I'm giving it up to them now. You know what I mean? Give them their praise. And if you get a chance, check it out. And we'll definitely, if this is, I would, I would assume that we're going to recap this fight next week because uh, Taylor is one of the top elite women boxers um, in the world. So looking forward to this matchup. Anything else you guys got before we wrap things up? Yeah, on that note, I also want to shout out Amanda Serrano. She, by the time this is released, she will have, she, she's, she's on the co-feature for the Jake Paul and Woodley Cart. So um, really looking forward to seeing her fight. And um, shout out to you, Will, for calling Katie Taylor Young at 35. I indirectly appreciate that, brother. Yes, sir. You know, anytime. You know what I mean? I'm an elder statesman in the game. And the interesting thing is that Serrano, so those will probably be the top five, you know, Clarissa Shields, if she's one or two, then you got Serrano. Serrano is is like out of, outside of um, the thing with her, she has power. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like she, like, I don't care if it's two minutes, I don't care if it's one minute. She packs a wallop in those, in those uh, punches. And so it's going to be interesting to see um, her and the skills that she brings to the table. I may do a recap of the Jake Paul Whitley fight. You know what I mean? I told, I said, Manny is long in the tooth. I'm a little bit long in the tooth as well. You know what I mean? I get up early, but I go to bed kind of early. So if they don't get that Manny event on, then don't expect the recap unless I catch me a mean nap beforehand. But yeah, we pretty much running out of time. Don't want to make this episode longer than it has to be. Certainly appreciate your ear this week. Thank you fellas for such uh, good recaps and conversation and you know, look forward to hearing the, the, the playback and we look forward to having another uh, conversation next week. Have a great Monday. Peace. Peace. Peace.